And welcome. Good to see you all here tonight. Uh, Michael, thank you very much for that ministry and music. And I don't know how we could have had a more appropriate uh, song for tonight. Uh, listen to all those attributes that uh, were listed for the person of God. And the emphasis of the fact that he is the one who was and is and is to come. And that's what we're talking about tonight, the eternality of God. So thank you very much, Michael, and appreciate the care that you uh, used in selecting that song. We are, really appreciate our musicians. They add so much to our worship, and uh, they are extremely uh, careful in the selections that they make, the words that are uh, communicated, the truths that are contained in our ministries of music. So I appreciate that very much. Tonight I am beginning a new series on the characteristics or attributes of God. It's very important for we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. We need to worship the God who truly is, not a God of our own imaginations, a God that we would like him to be. And there are many idols. We don't fashion many gods today. But nonetheless, there are gods of man's imagination, man's reasoning, people coming up with the God that they want to serve or that they want to worship or they want to uh, serve them. So it's important that we understand who God really is. Tonight, I look at the subject of the internality of God and a question that I think every three and four year old is asked at some time, and that is, where did God come from? Who made God? Is there anyone here who has never, ever heard that question? Of course not. I mean, it's about as logical a question as one can raise. Where did God come from? Tonight, our theme is that God is self-existent and the creation was made. Now, in the beginning, that may not be very satisfactory, but I hope as we go on tonight, it will become more satisfactory to you to think about the fact that God is self-existent. So, number one, the Bible teaches that God is self-existent. The meaning of self-existent. Self-existent means that no one made God. He existed by himself. No one brought God into being. Secondly, eternal means that God has no beginning and no end. There never was a time that God was not existing, and there will never be a time when God does not exist. B, the Bible teaches that God is self-existent. The Bible doesn't explain where God comes from, but rather asserts that God was always there. God always existed. The Bible starts off with God. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God was there. It starts with God and then tells us where creation came from. That is, it came from God. God made it. But God was simply there. In literally, in the Hebrew, there is no definite article. It reads, in beginning, 
not the beginning. Okay, that's a rather poor translation. I know why they do it. Because it doesn't sound right in English to simply say in beginning. We want the definite article. We say in the beginning. But the beginning connotates point in time. When we think about the beginning of something, we, we think of a point in time. But this is indefinite. It's not talking about a point in time, but it's talking about a period of time. Therefore, there is no definite period of time, which is the beginning. Rather, eternity past, prior to creation, is simply known as beginning. In beginning, God was there. There are basically two ways that we measure time. Now, I realize scientifically there are other ways in which time is measured, but basically we think of two ways in which time is measured. One is celestial, by the stars, by the moon. And so, the scripture says, on the fourth day of creation, that God created moons and stars. And it says for days, and for seasons, and for months, and for years. So, on the fourth day, God created that by which we have a tendency to measure time. Uh, stars, and moon, etc., etc. Okay, that's the fourth day, and that's how we usually think about measuring time. The other way in which we measure time is by event. By event. Uh, you may think in your own period of time. You might talk about before you were married. And what life was like before you were married. Or before you had children. Events have a way of denoting particular time periods. The one huge event that we measure time by is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we divide our reckoning of time into two periods. B.C., before Christ, before his birth, and A.D., which of course does not mean after death, but Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. The time in which Jesus Christ was born and forward. So we have two basic time periods. Before Christ was born and since time, uh, since Christ was born. So there is this beginning. Everything prior to the events of creation is beginning. That's the first huge time measurement in the scripture. Creation. And everything before creation is not the beginning, but beginning. There's nothing else to talk about in that period of time other than the fact that God existed. God existed. C. The book of Exodus reveals that God is self-existent. God's name Jehovah means the self-existent one. In Exodus 3.13, it says, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, I am has 
sent me to you. Literally, the name Jehovah comes from the verb to be. Okay? The name Jehovah. Another uh, theological reference to that is called the Tetragrammaton. Because it speaks of the Hebrew letters that form the word Jehovah. In Hebrew, as it was originally written, there were not vowels. There were only consonants. Later in time, a vowel pointing was added to help those that were not uh, very uh, conversant with Hebrew to help readers pronounce particular words. So we have the tetragrammaton, the letters, the consonants that form the word Jehovah. The rabbis were very concerned about taking God's name in vain. And Jehovah was considered to be a very holy name. There are other titles for God, but the name Jehovah, as opposed to uh, Adonai or Elohim or another name for God, Jehovah was a very, very holy name, thus to be set apart. And so, what happened was that the rabbis, even when reading Scripture, would not pronounce the name of God. And they would, uh, when they got to the Tetragrammaton, when they got to the letters, instead of pronouncing the name, they would substitute Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for Lord. And that's why in our English Bibles, if you have, if you see in your English Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the word that underlies that is Jehovah. If you see a capital L and small O-R-D, that's Lord. Okay. So, but the rabbis would pronounce Adonai. And as a result, over a period of time, we have lost even the sound of the name. We don't really know how Jehovah is to be uh, pronounced. And so there's an ongoing debate in theological circles. Is it Yeshua or is it uh, Jehovah? And I'm not interested in getting into the debate, but rather the point is that it is the verb to be. When God was declaring who he was, he said, I am who I am. Another way of saying that would probably be incorrect grammatically, but to say, he would say, I, I is. I, he's the one who exists. I am. Uh, it's me. I, it's I. It's the self-existent one. And so God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. Exodus 3.2 And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire. Yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvel at sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, and God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. That's when Moses said, What is your name? But you see, God revealed himself in the burning bush, and the point of the burning bush is that it wasn't consumed. It didn't turn into ashes. Why? Because the fire was not 
require the, the fire did not require the burning bush for its existence. The fire was not dependent upon the burning bush. The burning bush did not provide fuel for the fire. If you build a fire today, you build a fireplace, and it isn't long before you have a bunch of ashes. Because all the energy and the wood is used up to keep the fire going, and eventually the fire will go out when there is no more wood there to supply the fuel, the energy that's that's uh, necessitated in order to keep the fire going. God revealed himself to Moses by a fire in a bush that was not consumed. And then you think of the children of Israel when they would travel in the uh, wilderness. And remember when they were following the physical manifestation of the Shekinah glory to represent the person of God, his presence with his people, the way in which he manifested his presence to them during the daytime was a cloudy pillar, uh, and at night it was a pillar of fire. It was a fireball in heaven that would manifest itself, and there was nothing that was feeding that fireball to demonstrate the self-existent God. Next, the Bible teaches that the triune God is self-existent. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed in eternity past. This is demonstrated in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Note here that the God we are talking about is the triune God. One God existing in three persons. Now, the three persons, in all fairness, are not depicted in Genesis 1.26. But the plurality of the Godhead is. The plurality of the Godhead is seen in the plural personal pronouns, us and our. Notice it says... God said, let us make man in our image. So, God there is plural. Us and our. But, image and likeness is singular. So, God's, but not in our images, which you would expect it to be with a plural pronoun. You'd expect it to say, our images, our likenesses. But it's our image, one, our likeness, singular. Now, in the Hebrew, the word for God in Genesis 126 is Elohim. Elohim. And that is a word. El is the Hebrew word for God. El. God. Im is a suffix. It is the way in which a word is pluralized in Hebrew. So it would be like our S. Okay? So L would be God and the Im would be S. Gods. So literally, in Genesis 126, 
It says, God's said, let us. And we understand, and through the rest of Scripture, we understand that there is but one God existing in, and we come to understand, three persons. Three persons. The fact that there is but one God is seen in the singular noun. As I say, it does not read in our images, in our likenesses. Uh, two, the plurality of the God is also seen in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Number two, the belief in a self-existent God is not unreasonable. Now, I am not particularly desirous tonight of trying to prove the existence of God. Philosophically, there are a number of arguments that have been used down through uh, church history to argue for the existence of God. It's known as the ontological argument, the teleological argument, the cosmological argument. Uh, tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about the cosmological argument. Cosmos is uh, simply a uh, Greek word for world. And so, the creation. And that's what the, the Bible picks. So, A, some people would laugh at the notion of a God that always existed. Where did God come from? People would ask. Who made God? And at, at, the, moment, at, at the beginning, that can kind of set us back. Okay? That can put us, I think, on the defensive. Because we don't have any answer for that. Who made God? We just say, well, he always existed. And that doesn't sound uh, too profound. It doesn't sound very helpful until we understand, number one, the truth of the matter is that everyone believes in something that is eternal. Many people believe that God is eternal. Some people believe that the stuff of this universe, uh, of which this universe is made, is eternal. It's not the law of conservation of matter. It's a fundamental principle of classical physics. And I imagine everybody in this room just about has had enough science, if you're not uh, four or five or six years old, to know that matter is not created nor destroyed. Matter is not created nor destroyed. Now, if you think about that for a moment, what is that? It's a statement of eternality. Matter was not made. And matter will never be destroyed. Had no beginning. Had no end. And so, where did the matter, where did the material, where did the stuff of this creation come from? Guess what science's answer is to that. We don't know. It's can't be created, can't be destroyed. It's a statement of eternality. So, something, something has to be eternal. There is no one who's given it any thought that is able to come up with something 
that is not eternal. So, then too, the logical necessity for the belief in an eternal God. The belief in a self-existent God explains where everything else came from. You got the problem, where did God come from? I don't know. But then, it explains where everything else came from. It came from God. He made it. The stuff out of which he made things came from God. Everything came from God. John 1, 1. In the beginning, the Word was with God. The Word was God. And all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. However, the belief in self-existent matter does not explain where everything else comes from. To say that the stuff from which everything else came still doesn't answer the question. Example, where did life come from? Because the basic tenet of science is that nothing living can come from something non-living. Where did life come from? There are a lot of questions that cannot be answered if our understanding is that it's matter, which is eternal, as opposed to God, which is eternal. So all I'm trying to say tonight is don't apologize and don't feel stupid if someone says to you, where did God come from? As soon as they are ready to explain to you where matter came from, then feel stupid. But until someone is able to determine where matter came from, other than God, we don't have to be embarrassed by simply asserting a self-existent God. Number three, that which is self-existent logically should be worshipped. That which distinguishes biblical Christianity is that it maintains the distinction between God and the creation. That is huge. For in most religions, if they do not believe in the God of the Bible, somehow God is intermingled with creation. You think about pantheism, in which God is in all things, for example. Atheism, there is no God. But in biblical Christianity, God is distinct, separate from his creation. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When the scripture teaches that God made the heavens and the earth, it means that God created the universe and all that is therein. John 1.3, through him all things were made, without him was nothing made that was made. False religion mingles God with his creation. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from, which, from what he has made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they came to be wise, they became fools. So in their wisdom, they are declaring themselves to be wise, like we spoke of this morning, in a haughty arrogance in speaking against the word of God. They claim to be wise, but they became fools. How? 
Because they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served things rather than the Creator. They give glory to things rather than the one who made the things. In rejecting a creator, it raises the place of creation. This statement of eternality that matter always existed. And one way in which that is seen in a very practical realm is when we get into the evolutionary discussion of where did man come from? And it says that God created man. He's distinct from the animal world. Our um, scientific community says that man is not distinct from the animal world. He is part of the animal world, which raises the animal world onto a place of equality with man, or, if you will, lowers man to the level of the created world, which is problematic in and of itself. But beyond that, it's problematic because man is created in the image of God, where the animal world is not. So it's not only reflective of the destruction of man's glory, it's reflected in the destruction of God's glory. <clears throat> Number four. Did I do A and did I do this? Did I do 4A and following? I'm getting old here. I'm getting senile. So, no, I got Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. God is eternal. God has no beginning or end. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Creation is not eternal. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth. You see, the word born is a, a metaphor to come into existence. It's saying that there was a time that mountains didn't exist. God brought them into existence. Creation has both a beginning and an end. Creation has a beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creation has an end. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Number five, the Bible teaches that God made all that is made out of nothing and out of things that he had made. The Bible teaches that God made some things out of nothing. In the original creation, there was nothing but God. So God had to make even what things are made from. Okay. Uh, that is known as creation ex Nihilo, which means creation out of nothing. God had to make some stuff with nothing to use. There was no matter. There was nothing pre-existing for him to mold or to shape or to fashion or to make something else out of. God started with nothing. Those things are referred to as God speaking them 
into being or existence. Genesis 1-3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Light came from nothing. It appeared. And there was light. Some people ask the question, and they think they are extremely profound, as though nobody ever noticed this before. And that is, if God created the sun on the fourth day, where did light come from on days one, two, and three? Answer, he spoke it into being, and it existed and came from nothing that was prior to it. We're not talking about light from the sun. We're not talking about light from the from the stars. We're not talking about light from any source other than God Himself. He spoke it into being. And there are a number of things that the Bible depicts as God speaking it into being. He simply had to command it. And it was so. Secondly, The Bible teaches that God sometimes made things out of things He had already made. You may read, but it is incorrect, that the word bara, which is a Hebrew word that is a word for create, always means create out of nothing. That is just purely false. There are times in which the word bara means to create out of nothing such as when God spoke things into being. But the word bara can also mean to fashion or form, to make out of something that already existed. So number one, sometimes he did this by what is called immediate action. That means that he directly made something out of something else. One example of immediate creation is the creation of man. Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Note here that God makes man out of something that he already made, namely the dust of the earth. God did not speak man into existence the way that he spoke light into existence. He fashioned man from something else. But the something else is the dust of the earth. That is also creating. God created man from the dust of the earth. Number two, sometimes God made things by what is called mediate action. That means that God made a process whereby things would come into existence from things that already existed. This becomes the normal way in which God works. There are many examples of mediatory creation. Many examples of this creative work of God. For example, Genesis 1-11. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. Genesis 1.21 So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing 
which the water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. So if you notice in verse 21, we have the word created. And here, creation is associated with winged birds. God set into motion a uh, reproductive cycle, if you will, where birds give birth to other birds. We give birth to children. I don't, I don't think, you know, I'm really surprising anyone except for those of you who think they came from storks. But the rest of us understand that that people come from people. But it is still right. It is still appropriate. It is still theologically correct to speak of God creating me and God creating Sarah and God creating Amy and Caleb. For this is the activity of God in which he oversees and uses the the a reproductive cycle that he established, that he had made, that he set in order. So this word creation covers a large and vast source of application. And it all is traced back to everything comes from God ultimately. Some things he made out of nothing, ex nihilo. Some things he made from other things, such as man from the dust of the earth. And other things he makes from that very same thing, such as now human beings who are coming from other human beings. And all of that is distinct and separate from God. It would be wrong. To speak of creation as being God. Dust of the earth as being God. You or I being God. God is unique. God always existed. There never was a time that God did not exist. God exists today. And there will never be a time in which God no longer exists. And everything else that exists comes from Him. And that is the very premise on why God is to be worshipped and served. Because we are dependent beings He is independent. We need God. He does not need us. He sustains us. We don't sustain Him. He is truly unique. He is. He is the God I am. That is the most basic concept that is absolutely crucial to our understanding of God, the one who always existed, separate from creation, plural in the Godhead, 
but singular in his person. Let's pray. Our Father, help us. Help us to somehow get our minds around that which is beyond us. Even as John 1, 1 says that the light came into the world and the light was not able to comprehend it. Uh, Lord, we can't engulf you. You are, you are infinite. And we are finite. There is absolutely no way for us to understand or explain you. But we are thankful that you have revealed yourself to us and tried to communicate to us who are limited in our understandings. So tonight, at least give us humility that we are willing to acknowledge that we don't know what you do and how arrogant it would be of us to stand in judgment of what you say. And Lord, help us simply to realize tonight that we are left with a stark contrast in our worship, either of you or creation, in a very veiled but significant way, that tonight we either assert our belief that you always existed, or we are going to assert a belief that matter always existed. And it's going to lead us, O oh God, in a very different end. So, Lord, give us faith. Give us understanding. Help us to begin to be able to reflect on what we ultimately have to throw up our hands and acknowledge that we can't explain. And that is that you are self-existent and worthy of our praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.